everyone it is episode six of the mobile x podcast and as always i'm joined here by my partner in crime mobile gamer say hi hello and uh today we have a special guest uh somebody who's been we've been we've been building up for a while uh david brevik uh who's actually uh i, I think we, he just recently found out about this is actually responsible for my addiction to marvel strike force <laughs> uh just just you know lay it all out there just just there there it is you know the 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 burden is now yours my friend um <laughs> but uh just the idea was uh the void that was left by marvel heroes uh you know so i watched you and your wife play the game and and, and deegan you know deegan was playing too and i was like all right let's let's go play and uh and so that was that was what it was oh but you um, got to give a bigger introduction than that he's a legend oh, yeah. you're a legend dude you're a legend in the industry i mean come on Let's be, let's be very clear. I, this is so. This is the uh, creator of Diablo. Uh, you know the looter, the looter shooter. You, you could we could say that Hellgate London. Um, we can talk about uh, it lurks below in your own uh, indie game company uh, that you now have uh, your your newest enterprise. Which you want to tell everybody about it right now. Sure. Uh, I have I actually have several jobs, but the uh, but I have a publishing company called Skystone uh, and uh, where I'm funding and helping a whole bunch of other developers uh, create games and giving them creative feedback and things like that. Uh, and uh, we have five announced titles uh, with that one. Uh, the biggest one right now, which is going on on Steam Fest, uh, is a boundary. Uh, but we also have space lines from the far out and uh underworld dreams and uh undying a uh, whole bunch of whole bunch of titles uh, last friend and uh and uh then i have my own independent game company called graybeard games where i made it looks below where i did everything myself i did all the programming all the art the sound uh music uh did uh made my own engine etc and uh and then uh i'm consulting on a bunch of games i can't talk about <laughs> uh but uh yeah i'm not doing other other things as well but you've been but you've been making games since sega genesis days and and you've Correct. and you've made you know some of the biggest games ever like diablo and you've worked with blizzard and I mean, pretty, pretty large. Like, I mean, you could talk about everything you've done, probably take you about an hour, right? You've done a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been in the industry for 30 years, so that's... <laughs> I, 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 and that's what I'm saying this to David. I'm, I'm going to fanboy for a minute here. Uh, you are the person I look at when I look at, like, the creative vision uh, for video games. Uh, you, you, when I've interacted with you, you've, you've said some very, very specific things about the, you know... Um, building fun right making fun fun video games that right. people want to play and uh that's that's why the games that you've built have been wildly successful and a lot of people will probably say you know the one reason why a lot of people probably the marvel strike force audience will resonate with you is marvel heroes and so yeah. uh you know you're going to be able to give us some insight into that and maybe dealing with the marvel ip if you want to and all that fun stuff whatever you feel comfortable uh talking about today uh but i mean your your gaming resume is second to none uh you are you are a legend and the things that you continue to do for the industry. Well, thank you. Uh, I, I do, you do you do you want me to to play the clip that that's that kind of struck the whole purpose of this interview? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, let's do it. So here's the the backstory is is that uh, you and your wife stream on Twitch, and her name is Jungle Queen, correct? Correct. And you and 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 you're known for you play Marvel Strike Force every day, and you've played since uh, the beginning that came out. So you've been playing the game for a long time, and. I, Reminex was watching your stream and he he got some response out of you while you were playing Lost Ark. And I'm going to play that clip. Are you ready? 
Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, tell us how you really feel. Okay, let's play the clip. <laughs> Fucking crashy. I mean, it is unbelievably crashy. Uh. Way up there on the most crashy applications I've ever, ever played. Probably so the crashiest. Yeah. The game is so fucking crashy. I mean, it is unbelievably crashy. Uh, way up there on the most crashy applications I've ever, ever played. And then you went on in part two and you kept talking about it some more, talking about Marvel Strike Force some more. Oh my God. Marvel Strike Force, the uh, mobile game. And it crashes all the time. All the time. It, it literally crashes three or four times a day. <laughs> so what do you you really think about the crashing in Marvel Strike Force? <laughs> oh well, God, as you right? can tell, I'm not really pleased. <laughs> yeah, what do you, what do you, are you, you were talking with McMull and, and you talked about mm -hmm. maintenance mode and you, and you kind of suggested something uh, about yeah. the staffing levels of the engineers and the, the industry Op, you know, because the game is in maintenance mode, meaning that it doesn't have, you know, probably does not have increasing revenue at this time. And so they're really trying to cut costs. Talk a little bit about that, because that's what everybody is talking about, this maintenance mode. And what does that mean? Sure. Uh, let me, we can talk about it a little bit, but there's kind of different ways that projects kind of, there are different phases of, especially like a, a live service game. Uh, there are different phases where you've kind of got, you know, the initial construction of the of the product, whatever it is, and then through launch. And while it's in launch, uh, then they tend to, it, the staff is at, you know, one size or whatever. Usually, uh, you know, it starts out, it's small, and then uh, it grows through production. And then once production is done, then they move a bunch of resources off of the project and it moves on, they move on to other things and then they reduce the staff size. But uh, as a project, kind of the lifespan of a project goes on, they have lots of, for lack of better description, I can go into really a lot of detail here, but charts and graphs about how much money this project is making, how many people it will take to kind of maintain their revenue, uh, what they can do to maintain their revenue, uh, as well as then free up as many resources. It's in the company's best interest to reduce the staff as much as possible and maintain the revenue as high as possible. And so they do that so that they can go, the, the resources can go work on other projects that can bring in more revenue. So they, they go do that. Uh, so you know the object of the game from the from the the, the game <laughs> the, from the from a corporate standpoint is most money least with the least spend so they have all these they can see they can chart how how much the game is growing or if it's not growing how much it's shrinking or maintaining and how much revenue it's making and things like that and then they and they uh, how much it costs to get a new customer how much it costs to get a, a new paying customer, which is a, the, a, the customers they're most interested in. Uh, and at some point that uh, that number like becomes, you know, un, uh, unreasonable. And uh, and so they have to then kind of like reduce the staff to kind of a lower amount, let's say a small skeleton kind of crew of, let's say, I, I don't know, 
25 people or something like that, which is still a decent amount of people uh, that are uh, working on the product. And they've got, you know, a couple of people in the art department, a couple of designers. They might have less engineers. The engineers might be more focused on new projects and other things like that. They've got a bunch of tools and stuff already set up. Uh, they'll still have some engineers, but a lot of them will be more junior because uh, the product is well established. And there might be some senior engineers that that are on other projects but can be consulted. They know the code base well enough that they can come work on problems and things like that if they need to, but are taken in kind of uh, on a you know, on a need to basis rather than being on the project all the time. So, so what does that mean to like the everyday player? I mean, like, you know, Rem and I and, and yourself are hardcore players. You know, we play the game every day. What does that all mean for somebody that is like diehard Marvel strike force player that's been playing the game since the beginning? Well, the, in essence, the game's not growing, I would guess. Uh, and it's certainly not going to grow that much on a content level. Uh, it, the content will be, I mean, they're, they don't have a giant crew. They're not trying the games. I don't know how many years old, but let's or four, four or five four years. Just had the four year anniversaries <laughs> coming up here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's been around a while now and, uh, and so, you know, they're not growing the team to get bigger and bigger and and they don't believe that this game is going to become the biggest mobile game of all time or anything like that. Even then, they they want to reduce staff. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it just means that content is slower to come out mm -hmm. unless their pipeline is really good. Uh, they can create characters. Maybe they can create characters without a programmer or with light programming where they, uh, uh, have a bunch of artists creating the models and animations and visual effects people doing the, you know, the, and designers doing the actual skills and things like that. Uh, UI artists doing icons and whatnot. So they have like kind of a small group of people that don't require programmers. Programmers are the most expensive and the most, I, I would say valuable, but it's not really there. They're all very valuable, but they, uh, but the programmers are kind of without a programmer, there's no way you can make a game. So they, they, uh, they, uh, they, they are the resource that's most precious in terms of money and everything and so they uh uh you know you want to reduce that as much as possible and make sure that they, they can create content so i yeah. I'm, I'm curious though because we're kind of in uncharted territory with these uh mobile titles and freemium models on the life cycle of a, of successful games i want to put this out there marvel strike force is wild wildly successful right Absolutely. Which, which is not the same life cycle of a game that you you know you spent 60 dollars on you know, like Diablo two, right. Or whatever, you know, like, right. cause that's different. Cause this is a, you know, cause we don't have a lot of, um, data on how long these games actually last. I mean, if we look at like candy crush or clash of clans, uh, because people say, Oh, the game's going to end in six months. It's like, no, it's not. These games could go no. on for how long? 10 years. No. I, w no. Do we even know how long these games can last? I mean, Marvel conscious champions, I think is going on seven years. I mean, these games are last I mean, what do we have to look at? Like Warframe, the Warframe model? Or, or World of World EverQuest, World of Warcraft? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you, these yeah. games will last 10 plus years. Yeah. Especially when they're successful. I mean, what Puzzles and Dragons is still going, and that's, I don't know how many, that was probably 10 years ago uh, that it kind of broke out. So, uh, 
Summoner's War, things like that. There, there are some older one, older products out there that uh, that have been around since a lot, <laughs> kind of since sort of the beginning of of smartphones. Uh, that uh, that really, you know, I don't see ending anytime soon. Um, so it's not going away. It's just that content. The team is smaller. The content will be mm -hmm. slower to come out. Mm -hmm. They'll have character content will be easier to create. They've created a pipeline to so make sure that they can create characters. But they're, uh, the actual like new modes or new, new ways to do things will be limited. They'll be piggybacked on other systems and they'll, uh, you know, they'll be slow to come out just because they don't have the resources to create a lot of stuff. And it's not really, it's sort of in the interest of the, of the, of the company to, create new stuff because they want to keep their customers around and give them more to do. But in the long term, it's not the, you know, they feel like they can maintain their revenue by just creating characters most likely. Well, I, and I think that, I think there's a couple of pieces of the puzzle here. So what's, what's, what's interesting is we've been told something differently. Like, uh, you know, mobile and I, we had an interview with Cerebro and he said, we hired more people. Uh, but I think there was something unique that happened in the industry after COVID. And, and maybe you can attest for it, David. Uh, basically once, uh, you know, COVID started to settle uh, what, probably last spring. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there was a, a massive shift where people that were kind of locked in their jobs found, wanted to, wanted to go shop in the market, right? You know, the resources were out there and, and they were, and a lot of people moved companies. And that happened to Marvel Strike Force. They lost some of their, um, their primary, you know, uh, uh, people right. behind, behind the scenes. And we saw, and we saw that. Uh, we saw some new faces that we interacted with on a daily basis. And we actually met a new, um, creative director with one of Valley's uh, videos and, you know, and then, you know, shortly afterwards introduced to like tower mode and, and pocket dimension, but you're right. Those were on, those were on pre-existing uh, already in the game mechanics and, en and engines and, and, and the like. So, uh, so I, I guess the idea is, um, did you, were you aware of the article that they wrote? The, the, the 300 million were, we're the most humble, um, <laughs> Uh, smart, smartest. Have you, have you have you ever heard? Have you ever seen that article? I don't know if you ever. You know. <laughs> no, I, I didn't see that article. Yeah, so, so they, so, oh so my god! They, uh, <laughs> the guys guy at, at Boundless they put out an article and they basically said we're the we're the most humble, smartest people in the industry. Well, it also it also said you know this is the right way to do <laughs> a merger. <laughs> yeah, the right way to do a merger is leave us alone and we'll make three hundred million dollars. They were basically bragging about how Scopely didn't interfere with the existing structure of the company, and that's how they were able to make three hundred million dollars. And it was, it was, so it wasn't like, cause you know, they're privately held. So it wasn't like a quarterly statement. It was just like, they just threw that number out there to boast about it. Right. Humble yeah. brag. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it mostly had to do with like, they were like in that perfect storm. I, I said that they were, it was less like that they were the smartest people in the room and except that it was more like they were the Bubba Gump fishing company out to sea when everybody else was landlocked. You know, that there was a, bit, a massive attrition from Star Wars Galaxy Heroes, which you also play, right? Yeah. You know, and then Mar uh, Marvel Future Fight had a little bit of a hiccup, so there was a lot of new players coming in at the at the right time and could devote the time that Marvel Strike Force like requires. Now, that's something that I, I want to talk with you about. When you first started playing the game, the reason why you kind of left and said "I'm done" Ram, is because of the fact that it was demanding a lot of your time. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about that. So I just think that I mean, the, it, this is very 
God, this is a complex answer here, but the uh, these games are designed to let you play. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of strange. The the industry is changing. A lot of them went to this kind of energy system where you could play a little bit. In fact, you know, Marvel Strike Force is on an energy system, but kind of the latest thing is to not give people energy or basically give them almost unlimited energy and they end up playing all day. But the uh, 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 you know, it is kind of limited, but it's not really that limited. They're giving you energy a bunch uh, uh, every single day. So you're coming back, you're coming back, you're coming back. And, uh, you know, I'm super busy. I've got yeah. <laughs> several Sounds companies like and things like that. I don't have time to really like, you know, to, to dedicate, let's say, three <laughs> hours a day to uh to any particular game so uh it just it's really time consuming so i've kind of like i i still play i play every day i play i probably play an hour every day uh but i i just can't you know i do it more on a casual basis now than i did before i just can't spend that much of my day uh, dedicated to a game uh to you know to, for what really the the point is for i'm supposed to be playing this thing for fun uh and not making it into a chore it feels like a real grind when you're forced to kind of like come back over and over again at specific times and do specific tasks every single day. It's not that I'm enjoying doing these tasks. I'm not enjoying doing, you know, these two real-time PvP battles. Uh, I just have to check them off my list. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I think that uh, there, there comes a point where the game is, like, more about doing chores than it is about having fun. Uh, and right. that, that, uh, that's tough. That's it crosses this line at some point for me. Uh, and so if I play it on a more casual basis where it's like, Hey, if I don't feel like doing the couple of <laughs> real time arena battles today, that's okay. You know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Uh, and, uh, and and I'm just moving on with my 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 day in my life. And that's all right. And, uh, you know, I don't need to be doing this. I don't need to 100 percent everything every single day. Uh, some days are going to be busier than others. Some days I'm going to feel like doing, you know, a bunch of real time battles. But, it, it you know, it just depends on kind of my mood uh, as well as how much time I have available and things like that. But I try not to get myself into this point where I feel stressed about a game that I'm playing that's supposed to be fun. What what game mode for you is the most fun? What game mode is the yeah. most fun? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure which one is the most fun. I, I'm not sure there is one that is fun. The, uh, <laughs> uh, there isn't, you know, one of the things that I've found not only in Star Wars Galaxy Heroes, but also in Marvel Strike Force and other games of this ilk is that at some point there really isn't anything for me to do. Uh, there, you know, the challenges are kind of few and far between, uh, and it never feels like I get to take my toys out of the toy box. It never really feels like I'm like, get to play with all of these characters. I've put so much time and effort into, uh, and, uh, you know, I guess maybe a little bit in some of the raids where you got the different teams. Uh, in the kind of Greek uh, raids or whatever, then those those are a little bit better. And then I get to kind of like use a few different teams. But once I'd kind of leveled up those teams, there's not really 
much to do there either. It never really feels like I said that I get to kind of like say, hey, I've got this team and this other team and this other team that I get to do something fun with after I've put all this time and effort and sometimes money <laughs> uh, into. Uh, it never, you know, characters kind of like fade away and then they're kind of deemed largely useless. Uh, and uh, new things are here, new shiny toys, which are great, but it never really feels like I get to, to kind of go back, go back and just have fun with all of the, the characters I've had that I've, cre- that I've worked on. I, I, That's interesting. Yeah, I got to ask you a question because I, I have a feeling that, that you come from an era of where the idea was um, make the game, make the game fun. As long as the game is fun, well, people will buy the game, right? And it's (laughs) right. I mean, we're talking about, we're going back like 20 years ago. Right. And you know, like that was the plan, right? If you make a quality game that is fun, it'll be successful. Right. And it seems like today, and and this came out in an interview with your, with your wife actually uh, on the podcast where uh, if it it doesn't matter if the game is fun, if there's no monetization model, as far as mobile titles, if you don't have a way of monetizing this game successfully, it doesn't matter if the game is fun or not. And is that sad or what are your thoughts on that? It's incredibly sad. I mean, it used to be, I mean, there's there, there's a lot on this as well, but there, it used to be that that was the rule, but the industry was much, much smaller. It was like there were, you know, a couple hundred games a year. And, uh, and that was largely true. There weren't really, you know, engines weren't ubiquitous. They, they you couldn't just make a game as a team with not much experience in making games or anything like that. You had to create your own engines. You had to like create your own tools and all this kind of stuff. There was a huge barrier to entry. Uh, there was also a huge barrier to entry because of distribution, which we won't get into. But basically, there was no way to because you had to get physical copies on shelves at stores was a different thing than digital distribution. Uh, and so the amount of games was really low and the amount of technical expertise was really kind of there was a big barrier. Uh, so having the wherewithal to be able to create your own engine and stuff like that was a big challenge. Uh, and so and a big barrier to smaller studios or, you know, in, in uh, people with not much experience being able to do stuff. So making a game fun and not very crashy usually meant that it sold pretty well. So it was mainly about making these fun games, make it make it fun, make it stable and you'll be successful. And that was a great rule. But now fast forward to today where you've got easy to use engines uh, that uh, that are everywhere with tons of examples and tons of information and documentation and all sorts of stuff, libraries and everything out on the Internet that you can just buy or use. And uh, and uh, as well as um, digital distribution, be able to get your game anywhere. And there's been an explosion in games. And now uh, there are, if you count like mobile as well as console and PC, if you put them all together, there are over 1,000 games released a week. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so because of that, like trying to stand out in an absolutely flooded market is, is tough. It's really tough. The average game now on Steam makes $1,500 lifetime. Wow. So uh, there are, uh, you know, 
standing out is rare. Trying to get customers is rare. And then, uh, and, uh, you know, that, that is expensive to get customers. It's once you have a customer, you want to cling, hold on to them for dear life because <laughs> it's really expensive to get another customer. And so, like, these things are, are games are designed so that it isn't necessarily about having fun. It's about clinging on to your customers. It's about making sure that you have something new to do all the time. Uh, you can look at like Fortnite. Hey, we've got a new season. Come do our season pass or whatever. Like, you know, they're like, come back, come do our thing for a little while, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's keep it going, keep it going, keep it going and give people an excuse to come back over and over again. So what brought you back to Marvel Strike Force? Friends. Yeah. So do you feel like that, that that they built this model with alliances where they kind of like have that FOMO and, you know, if one goes hardcore that they kind of drag other people forward? Do you think that's actually happening or do you think that's something that mobile and I imagine? <laughs> oh, I think that it's real. There is real psychology there. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I don't know if it works on me. <laughs> well, you know, and, and maybe it's your... It's your you know, tenure in the industry and all that, that probably makes you a little more immune or, 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 or also the fact that you realize that you have other projects that are, you know, more important uh, to work on. So, you know, let's transition a little bit here. Uh, we talked about Marvel Strike Force. Uh, do you feel like, do you feel like that the team is paying attention to the right things? On Marvel Strike Force? On Marvel Strike Force. Like, like if you if you were to if you were to sit down with the developers, would you get could you give them a list of things? Like, what would you what would be without without going into detail? So maybe they will knock on your door. You know, what, what would be the things that you would think that they would they would need to do to make this a better experience, a better a better game? What's missing? Well, number one thing is stability. Uh, stability is poor uh, still. And so I think that uh, making sure that the game isn't crashing all the time is is first and foremost. I mean, it's really hard to enjoy a game when, let's say you have this, uh, they gave you five arena tickets or whatever every day, and I go in and uh, I crash three times without completing a <laughs> an arena ticket or whatever. <laughs> it's like... Uh, well, uh, you know, that sucks without, and it's not my fault, but yet the game, you know, is going to penalize me because I haven't even completed an arena match today on my list of things to do. And, uh, and you know, it's because it's crashing. It has nothing to do with me. Not only that, but they can actually, they can determine this, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is that they can determine, Hey, the, the game, crashed or something went wrong when we entered the match or whatever and be generous about it they don't have to be they don't have to be the way that they are like hey if they didn't finish the match say the if word it you didn't... want to say say the word you want to say i caught you i i know you're, <laughs> you were forming a word there yes <laughs> i was <laughs> i saw i saw that's okay we won't we won't we, we, we we're uh we'll let you have it but yeah no we we definitely we feel that do you feel like they're transparent enough? Like they're letting us know what's happening? Do you feel like that they're like they're all honest? Because I feel like I play other games. I know that there's bugs, things I should avoid. You know, uh, we had you know there's like little there's things in games that hey, a known issue happens when you use the one one example I always do is the Thor's hammer bug, which I fought really hard to make sure it was visible because new players were coming to the game and they were given Thor for free and encountering that bug in a largest 
the largest right. possible way like you could possibly imagine and i fought really hard to make sure that, that was something that was like at the front of the developers you know like like this it, i just feel like there isn't there's isn't a way to interact with that in, in this game yeah there isn't uh you know i, I do it seems like they they aren't prioritizing bug fixes to the degree that I think that uh, that I do as well as I think that most developers should. Uh, uh, you know, when there is a bug, I am trying to patch immediately uh, whatever it is. It depends on the severity, but if it's something like a crash bug or whatever, like I will not go about uh, you know waiting two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever, to fix something, I would want to fix it literally that day. Uh, and so, uh, you know, crashing in my mind is completely unacceptable. It's got to be unacceptable for them too. Like you said, they got to be losing customers. Like yeah. this is a, this is a, this is a, I quit and I'm never coming back again, kind of, kind of situation. So why that wouldn't be a higher priority, I don't really get. Um, but you know, they, they, it seems like it takes a while for them to fix things. Sometimes, I yeah. got. I got to ask you. Uh, in your McMull video, you talked about um, your Metacritic score on Marvel Heroes. You know, you were you were streaming right. the game, and and it was. Um, what is what? Why 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 wouldn't a developer do what you did there? Like you basically streamed the day, streamed the game. You got a lot of insights. You were able to actually have like a authentic experience that the, the 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 players are having right and then you could go back and change things and you said your your metacritic went from the score went from the 60s to the 80s why why don't do i don't see developers doing this why don't more developers do that play the game on twitch them their own game on twitch no idea <laughs> I, I know that that's all i'm ever going to do for the rest of my career so i <laughs> But I don't know why other people don't do it. It's I, I've found it super enjoyable. I really loved interacting with the community and playing the game together and uh, meeting a bunch of the community and really feeling like I, you know, putting my shoes literally in the shoes of a customer uh, in terms of being able to like play and like I didn't I didn't have a cheated account or anything like that uh, in 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 Marvel Heroes. I you know, did everything just like uh, like a regular customer would. And uh, and I found it super helpful to kind of empathize with whomever, with uh, with the regular customers, as well as, hey, this is really bothering me. We really need to fix this, et cetera, et cetera. The, those things really rose to the top. And uh, so I thought it was a fabulous experience that taught me a lot. That's, you know, I think that's that's what's a perfect example of, of why, you know, Marvel heroes is successful. You know, it, it was one of those games where I, I played at launch and I think, you, you know, there was a year one struggle. Was that, was that, a, uh, was that be behind the scenes with investors? Was it, do you feel like it was rushed out or do you feel like it was just, you needed to get it out there to kind of understand what people wanted to play and wanted to have interact as, or, you know, cause I know the, you know, one thing I'll say to you is Marvel heroes is an amazing success story. You know, it, it had mixed reviews when it first came out. And by year one, it was the best, you know, it was it was touted as the best, you know, uh, renewed game in the industry. Uh, and so uh, what, what was behind it happening behind the scenes? Was it the Marvel IP? I mean, anything you want to share with that? Sure. Uh, it was mainly because of the investors. Uh, before I became CEO of Gazillion, the CEO before the first CEO, 
raised a ton of money. And the company was started out as an educational entertainment company. And uh, they had raised tons and tons of money, several hundred million dollars, and um, burned through it and didn't release anything. Uh, well, they released one thing, and it was a total failure. Uh, and so uh, they kind of blew all of this money, and the investors were upset, and they're like, well, we're holding on for this one game. And, uh, you know, I told them that it would take five to seven years to make this game. And then they came back and said, well, uh, after after I had already brought a bunch of my friends over, after I had already like started on work on this big project um, and they uh, and they said, well, you know, I found out about a year in. Oh, the, there's a contract date you, that in the contract, the game has to be released uh, in this particular quarter uh, by this particular quarter in this particular year or it, uh, you know, or we lose the license. So uh, it was uh, that was that was one of the biggest <laughs> aspects is that we couldn't get the thing delayed. Uh, we had tried uh, for a long time to to uh, to negotiate a further date, but it wasn't going to work. Not only because the investors weren't going to give us more money, but also uh, the uh, you know we had this contract contractual obligation that was no fault of Marvel's or whatever. It was built in by the negotiation. Uh, from the previous uh, CEO before, and that CEO didn't really know anything about making games. Uh, he was a very good CEO. He knew a lot about raising money. He was a hyper smart guy, but uh, didn't really know anything about uh, about um, about making games. Sadly, and uh, so once I got there, and I knew how to make games, then you know they promoted me to CEO. <laughs> And uh, but by then it was like it was almost too late. Like I had, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was I was in a we were in a tough bind. I wish there was, you know, in hindsight, I wish that we could have called it like early access or, you know, a yeah. beta launch or something really like that. There really wasn't out back then. It really wasn't really like that was the right. teams that were touching on that. Right. If it was really right. Active. Exactly. Like if and. If, uh, yeah, it, you know, if we had had early access on it, like I think it would have told a different tale. And uh, it's you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But the, is it, uh, but isn't it, Fortnite still in early access? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like games never don't leave their beta yeah. stage now. They just perpetually in early access or something. Or yeah, how long was Gmail and beta? That was yeah, right. <laughs> Well, and, and I think that that's a, that's a testament to it. All right, so you know, Marvel Heroes again. Uh, I I don't. I think I told you this before, but I used to, to to travel with my gaming PC to be able to play with my friends and and alongside you guys. And um, you know, I still talk to a lot of the the guys that are involved in the project. You know, from uh, Asros and Ralnir. I still I still see those guys periodically. Asros, you know, streaming uh, the project. He's working on the the, yep. the Avengers game periodically. We yeah. see him. So I mean, it's just you guys. You guys had like this magic team too. It was really, it was really great to see you guys come together and the passion you had about Marvel and everything like that. And I think I, I want to see that. I, I really, I you know, and maybe that's the the bar that you set. I I, I don't. I want to see that passion in, in Marvel Strike Force. I want to see somebody with with your passion and your team's passion in Marvel Strike Force. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, that's probably my own fault because you set some had pretty hefty expectations there. But <laughs> but you know, uh, I you know, th all that being said. Um, 
let's talk about it. You, you you always said this that the hardest thing to do is to get like your heroes uh, to be able to be playable characters and and capture them. What character do you think in Marvel Strike Force captures the best, um, and which one misses the mark heavily? I know you're a Marvel fan, so you can definitely say this. Right. Which one do you think? Um, off the top of your head. That's a good question. God, I I don't know. I mean. Uh, mainly, I it's just because Icarus is on the top of my. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so so broken. Oh my uh, god! But you know he's <laughs> kind of broken in the Marvel universe too. So that's the, uh, you know he. They got it right. So that's it's kind of funny because I, I I think that's probably a balance they had a strike was you know like capture like this oh you know this this guy that's you know god level go oh, near god tier right and and they got it. But uh, the impact it had on the game is a whole other story. Now, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How about the character you think they missed the mark on? Anybody you think is like, was like, why, why does the guy even exist? Why do they do? Why can't they fix this guy? Well, I mean, it's hard to say that now. I mean, it, like, for instance, Thor. I mean, Thor is so fragile uh, that, uh, it, you know, it's it's kind of frustrating to play him because he's not fragile in, in the comics. Right. You know, it, so, uh, I just feel like he, he, I, I, I think that thematically works great, but he's such an old character that like the hasn't been updated, uh, that it's not really, uh, you know, that you get into a situation where it doesn't feel like Thor anymore. And I don't know what they can really do about it besides update things like they did with Gamora or something like that. Like, it would be really nice if they could give some of these old characters who are like even Hulk or Thor or things like that to make them more on par with what they should be given kind of the other characters. But again, they're not going to do this because that's not really the model. The model is get people to buy the new shiny things not the old stuff they already invested in the old stuff uh, you know they're they're gonna do limited amounts of of boosting on the on kind of old characters they, they will but it you know it won't be the same as uh a, you know they're not going to constantly be rebalancing everything they gotta they gotta have new stuff that people want to invest and purchase uh, that's more powerful. It's just kind of the story of games or games as a service in general. You got to get that new piece of armor and wow, that's like slightly better than your last one or whatever. You know, you got to you got to have this chase. You got to have this grind. You have to have a reason to like go out and do do these things. And if it's the same as what you've got, then it's not as compelling. So having new shiny stuff that does cool things uh, and are powerful is the is the way that you keep people around. Yeah, so I mean, is, was, was there any character that you thought was uh, like this last patch that you're like, oh, I'm going to skip them because they weren't powerful enough? Uh, I'm trying to think of. Uh, okay. Well, I, I didn't. I did. Did you? I'm sure you. You know, I I don't know. There are a bunch of characters that uh, that uh, that I've enjoyed playing recently, but uh, I haven't given them all a try. The uh, um. I think that the, the I'm trying to think what just came out. I was I'm blanking on who just came out. Uh, Kate Bishop. Uh, oh, Echo. Kate Bishop, right? Echo and Echo. Uh, I, I actually I haven't. <laughs> I don't have Kate Bishop yet. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's an example, right? That you didn't feel like you were enticed to buy them because they weren't like necessarily you know uh, Icarus level, right? Power. But right. you know, and that's that's just and, and and I think that's a problem. You know, we're we're giving them right. buying, buying signals too. Yeah, 
and that's what they're going to sell us is you know these characters that are continuously these these powerful characters because that's what our buying symbols are so i think it's interesting you know um but msf standpoint so i'm going to ask you the, the hardest question i'm going to ask you and i'm going to then mobile kind of go into his see if he has any follow-up questions for you this is the hardest question i, I i've been wanting to ask you because it's, it's it's sitting with me differently is so we have the we have the Steam model for for video games and distribution, right? With the digital distribution, and now we, we're seeing the Microsoft <coughs> juggernaut kind of uh, pick up steam here. Mm-hmm. Is that good for games? Do you feel like as a developer that that's going to be uh, good for how you want to build games, or is it? You think it's going to help you help you get your your guys' games out there? No, I. Uh... Software navigate. Is it good for games? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, sure. In some ways, in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter. Specifically in the Microsoft Activision Blizzard situation, it has very little impact on the industry, in my opinion, in terms of uh, maybe down the road it has a little bit more of an impact, especially the PlayStation, uh, but uh, it doesn't really have much of an impact uh, to them. I mean, I hope that that you know Microsoft comes in and institutes some adult policies <laughs> at Activision <laughs> Blizzard. Uh, but uh, but you know they are already a mega company. They are already mega corp. So like being a bigger mega corp is like you know is that really going to change much? I, probably not that much. I played, uh, I played Cyberpunk. Yeah, that it could. <laughs> it could. I mean, it, it could have an, an impact. Who knows? Uh, could be positive. Like I think that uh, Microsoft's acquisition of uh, Mojang and Minecraft has mm-hmm. been pretty positive. Uh, that uh, that the changes and stuff that I've seen out of Minecraft and the kind of cool things that they've added to the game have been great. Like this last patch or whatever in Minecraft was amazing. Uh, so there are success stories of companies acquiring other companies and it being a positive thing. Uh, there are plenty of negative ones too, so it's hard to tell, but uh, we'll see. I think that... Uh, is it good for games? I don't know. I don't know if it really makes that much difference. It's not going to change the amount of games. Uh, there are kind of two categories of games, or maybe two and a half, uh, where you've got like the big AAA games that like big companies are making. They get all the press, uh, and then you've got uh, kind of mobile games, which make a ton of money, but the press doesn't really talk about for some reason. <laughs> And uh, and uh, then we've got uh, and then you got kind of indie games uh, and that, you know, indie games is just a sea of all sorts of on of games you've never heard of and probably never will hear of. And uh, they barely make money. And there's only a few standouts a year. Lightning in a bottle. Right. So I yeah. guess the last thing is, that, you know, I'm, I'm a parent. You know, we talk about, you know, parenthood a lot. Uh, would you, how do, what do I give advice to my kids who want to build video games? Should they focus on the engineering aspect as it's always the most valuable portion of it? Yeah, absolutely. I would recommend engineering. Uh, I mean, you, art, being an artist uh, or a musician is also a decent path, uh, but uh, engineering is the most, is the most valuable. Um, as an engineer, you can, you can do it all, right? You don't, 
technically need anybody else to make a game then. Um, so, because, uh, I mean, you might be a bad artist, but you can you can buy art or contract art or things like that uh, as needed, but it's different than if you're just a designer or you're just a artist or whatever and you don't have the skills to actually put the put a game together it all comes down to programming so i would i would focus there so your resume is you you do musician as well yeah i i mean i played piano since uh i was i don't know 10 or something (laughs) and i played uh i played uh i was like in marching band i was percussionist and i uh played in I was in marching band all through high school and in college and I uh and I play ukulele and I play guitar and I play yeah <laughs> all sorts of stuff yeah that's yeah that's that's not that, that's a lot that's a lot of stuff here and that and you know it's funny because you, you know you listen to the sounds and, and the music in Diablo and and you know how much of that did you contribute to uh not much I mean I gave feedback to Matt but Matt and I uh have always been close we would always set up our offices right next to each other uh i would like we would play music with our doors open (laughs) and we listen to the same kinds of music to try and establish the mood of the game and things like that uh but matt is a is a true genius and uh and uh you know was it, it was largely his uh doing for uh for the for the diablo soundtrack do you think you could make diablo in today's environment Sure, you could. Uh, would it be as successful? I don't know. It depends on a zillion factors. Um, but sure, you could. You can invent a new style of game like a, a Diablo. But it was a little bit of right time, right right place, uh, and it was a bunch of different things. You know, it was kind of the advent of of uh, internet play and be able to put it in the box where you can play with other people. Uh, over Battle.net, um, you know, that was the first Battle.net game. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, to have that as well as being kind of this different style of RPG, RPGs largely for the, for the most part were like group groups that you were <laughs> controlling. You had like six different characters in your party or whatever. Uh, so kind of a, a solo version of, of that uh, was very different at the time as well as uh you know uh really action oriented and not about dragons and elves uh were all big big changes uh and one of the reasons that it kind of stood out i think yeah well i mean I, there's I, you definitely have given a lot of uh, other insights to that i've seen i've seen you actually like uh talk about it um uh, you've been on documentaries and stuff like that you know just the diablo creation is is a miracle in of itself the way that you guys work with it yeah uh, so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go over to the to, to mobile see if he has any follow-up questions for no you. i just think it was absolutely fantastic hey hang out with you and get some insights especially on uh, how it affects the marvel strike force players and your experience i think it's just a unique insight that 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 is welcome to the community for sure thanks yeah, thanks for being here. You know, you know, uh, thanks for being a part of our community and uh, always with your honest and feedback. So that's that's gonna wrap up this uh, episode with David Brevik. You know, uh, the the legend himself. I mean, and 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 I, I, you know, you're you're too humble and you're modest because you, you know, I, I, I don't think you've, you, you know, and you look at that resume. I'm, I'm sure, you know, people know that you're doing consulting work now. You're gonna get more people knocking on your door down the road. Um, but you know, it, you know, I think you've 
created so much of the games that we love and, and at least been the principal when it comes to what they imitate, right? And so, <laughs> um, you know, we look at Marvel Future Revolution and kind of like how it tried to fill the Marvel uh, heroes void. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny, you know, getting you guys take on, on that too, uh, while we were, while we were live and streaming that. But anyway, I, I really appreciate you being on here and giving us the time. And, uh, so, uh, any else, anything else you want to plug? You want to plug your wife's Twitch stream? So you guys watch, you guys swear on, you know, instead of on the, yeah, yeah we don't stream as much as we used to, but, uh, yeah, if you, you can catch us at the jungle queen, uh, on Twitch. Uh, that's, that's our channel. And we try and stream every week now, but, uh, now that I have eight thousand jobs and she has a full time job, it's uh, we'll see how much we get to get to do that. But yes, and then I have Skystone. Watch out for our our games, and uh, and it lurks below is on on Steam. Yeah, I'll, you know what I'll probably do? I'll probably do some type of giveaway with Alerts Below coming up soon again to get some people back on it. Like uh, maybe, maybe you know, I, I really love that game. I thought it is there going to be a sequel? I always I always tease Tark. about it. You Lost Tark. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, never say never. That's for sure. Uh, I'm kind of busy right now, but I, I really yeah. hope that I get the time to do it. Sounds awesome. All right, David, I appreciate your time. All right, guys, we're going to sign off and catch you next week. We got some other special guests coming up. Uh, this one's going to be a surprise as well. Uh, and uh, we'll hope to see you guys tuning in. Thanks for catching the Mobile X podcast, the crossover between mobile games and the mainstream industry. What a better guest to have that exemplifies that with our good friend, David Rebick. Bye for now. Thank you